Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett. We're going to be continuing our teaching series on the essence of redemption. And before we get into all that, I just want to let you know all of our teachings and our Bible studies are archived on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us with their tithes and their offerings. And in case you're wondering how you can do so, simply go to our website at lighthousedesignership.org and go to our give page and you can give them anywhere in the world. If you'd like to send us a check, you can simply make checks payable to the Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And on the bottom of every page on our website, you can uh, find our mailing address. And if you're in the United States, just so you know that we are a 501 church and all of your tax contributions are tax deductible. Uh, we will have Bible study tonight at 6 o'clock uh, on the book, uh, uh, The Believer's Authority by Andrew Womack. And then, with all announcements uh, aside, we're going to jump right into our message this morning, as I have a lot to cover as we continue on part three of our teaching series, The Essence of Redemption. This is part three, and then uh, I'm hoping to conclude this uh, this morning with short message, but... <coughs> Excuse me. As I said before, this is the first series of messages, the essence of redemption, of uh, three different series that I'm calling a trilogy of messages. Uh, next week we'll start a message on such a great salvation, and then we'll be talking about our blood covenant with God. And so, and that's, I'll get into more detail with that later on. So, anyway, um, the essence of redemption, this is part three. So, let's do a little bit of recap of what we've covered in the first two weeks of this series. Our key verse is from Romans 4.25, and there's many key verses in this series, and even this trilogy of messages. But Romans 4.25 says, For he, was, he, Jesus, was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. We've been looking at this verse uh, and, and, and breaking it apart over the last two weeks. In other, in other words, we talked about how Jesus went to the cross for our sin. You know, this message and this, this trilogy message, we're getting down to the fundamentals. We're getting that back to the very basics. In one sense, we're making the main thing the main thing. The cross. Jesus died for our sins. And we all needed redemption. And so, and what does redemption mean? Redeem means to purchase. Jesus purchased us by his blood. Why did we all need redemption? Because we all sinned. Okay. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. We'll be talking about this eternal life in our next teaching series on such a great salvation. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shaken in iniquity and in sin, then my mother conceived me. We were all born in sin. Even if we never committed the sin, we are all born in sin. At the same point in time, even though that's true, it's also true that we have all sinned. We've all committed a sin. So we have all committed a sin, and we have all been born in sin, okay? We were all sinners. Right? And the emphasis on the word. Because if you're born again, you're not a sinner anymore. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The wages of sin is death. We read that in Romans 3.23. And the penalty, that means the penalty for death and sin. The wage, what you earn, what you deserve, is death. 
The grace is not what you've earned. Mercy is not what you've earned. You did not excuse me. You did not earn redemption. It is a gift of God. But because the, we've all sinned, and because the wages for sin is death, we all needed a Savior. And we focused the last two weeks on two main points where Jesus delivered us from the penalty of sin. He purchased us. He delivered us from the penalty of sin. <coughs> Excuse me. In part two, we looked at Jesus delivered us from the power of sin. Okay? Jesus not only paid for our sins, Jesus has also borne our sins. We looked at this uh, in our first week in Leviticus chapter 16, how there was two goats. One goat would, would die as a sin offering, and the second goat uh, would be released as a scapegoat. Okay? And then we went on to talk about how explaining what born and carried means. It means to carry away. It means to bury. The other goat, the scapegoat, was released. And that's why we call it the scapegoat. We don't hear a lot about that, but there's a scapegoat part of the law, which points to Jesus. Jesus not only paid for our sins, Jesus also bore our sins. See, the goat that died was a payment for sins. But because the wages for sin is death. But the other goat bore the sins. The other goat took the sins away. Therefore, you don't have to live in the guilt and shame of your sins. Why? Because we have been redeemed. Okay? And then, at the end of week one, and all of last week, we talked about this third point, how we need to identify, we need to learn how to identify with his death and the resurrection. We talked in our first week about how you have to identify with his death. We spent a lot of time talking about that. What do, we, what, what do we need to die to? We need to die to, we talked about how we need to die to sin. We need to die to legalism. We need to die to self, and we need to die to the world. And we're not going to go into all this again. We, 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 talk, we covered this in week one, and you can look at our archives to get that. Last week, we spent a lot of time talking about how the second thing you have to do is to identify with his resurrection. Again, going back to our key verse, Romans 4.25, he was delivered up because of our offenses, our sins, and he was raised, he rose again because of our justification, our righteousness. I identify with Jesus. I identify I'm dead to sin, and I'm alive to God. Romans 6.11 says, I reckon myself to be dead to sin and alive to to God. We focus a lot about being dead to sin, and that's true. And we need to we need to reckon that we are dead to sin. We don't live it anymore. But we also need to reckon that we are alive to God. We died to one thing, but we are alive to God. <coughs> that's what water baptism represents. We were buried with Christ, and we rose with Christ. Okay, why? Because we have been redeemed. Well, we again. Last week we talked about how he was. No, he delivered up our offenses, but he was raised because of our justification. So with that in mind, we talked a lot about justification. Justification is another term for righteousness. And at the end of last year, 2021, we spent a lot of time, we spent eight weeks talking about righteousness. But justification, that's the word we're using here, is central to the gospel. Whoever believes in Jesus is justified. Whoever does not believe in Jesus is not justified. We talked about that last week. That is very cut and dry. If you have Jesus, you're saved. If you don't have Jesus, you're lost. Okay? When you are justified, you are pronounced... We talked about uh, five things last week. The first thing we talked about is that you are pronounced righteous. 
You're pronounced justified. When you are justified by God, Almighty God, you are pronounced by God to be righteous. We also talked about last week that you are pronounced to be acquitted. We also talked about last week you are pronounced to be accepted by Him. We talked about the resurrection spirit of life lives in the inside of you. And we also talked about last week your destiny has already been determined. So we're going to recap this real, real quick before we get into this week's lesson. We're not going to go detail. You're going to have to listen to last week's message. Okay? In other words, we've been pardoned. God has pronounced us to be righteous. I used the illustration last week that when Sherry and I were married, after we went to exchange vows and we went through the ceremony, the pastor, Rick Dana, who was, our, who was the one who married us, he pronounced us as husband and wife. He pronounced us to the world. He pronounced us to the audience that we are husband and wife. That means I don't date any other girls. I don't, there's certain things I don't do. There's certain places I don't go. There's certain places I don't see, certain people I don't see in a certain fashion. Okay? When, when we're born again, God pronounces born again. He pronounces justified. He pronounces the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And because we are born again, because we are a child of God, because we are righteous and justified, there's certain places we don't go. There's certain things, people we don't see in a certain fashion. There's certain things that we don't do anymore. Why? Because we are redeemed. We are righteous. We are justified. God has pronounced us to be righteous. The verdict is in, and God has pronounced us to be acquitted. The case is closed. The case has been dismissed. God Almighty has declared you to be accepted in His presence. Because if you have sin, you can't Sin cannot be in the presence of God. But because you are redeemed, because you are justified and acquitted, you can come into his presence. You are accepted in the beloved. God has declared you are free from guilt and shame. God has declared you to be judged, to be righteous and unrighteous. Sherry and I have watched a TV series recently called Bull. And... Anyway, I'm not going to go all that TV TV show, but at the end of the day, at the end of the court session, the the one who's being accused is either declared by the jury to be guilty or not guilty. And God has declared us judged, and the judgment on us is that we are acquitted, that we are redeemed, that we are forgiven, that we are right and righteous in the sight of God. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That Jesus died for our sins. But Jesus rose from the grave. He just shed his blood. We have been redeemed. You were given for, instead of death, you were given life. You were, instead of sin, you were given righteousness. Instead of sickness, you were given health. Instead of anxiety, you were given peace. Instead of poverty, you were given wealth. We'll go into a lot more detail towards the end of our next teaching series about some of the aspects that I have quoted here. We have a new destiny. What does that mean? Our destiny in Christ is secure. We talked about this. So this is kind of our fifth point we talked about last week. Knowing your destiny is secure releases you to walk in the realm of faith. It could be hard for you to walk in faith if you don't even know if you're secure in a relationship with God. If you don't even know where you stand in the sight of God, how can you even know what your destiny is? What's the point of your destiny? And actually, if you don't know if you're, if you're right with God, your destiny is hell. But if you are right with God, 
their destiny is heaven. Their destiny is an everlasting, eternal life with God. Okay? We'll be talking about a lot of that more in our next teaching series. Let's go back to our key verse real quick. Romans 4.25, he was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. The very next verse, Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says, therefore, having been justified by faith, <coughs> we have peace with God. Because we've been justified, we are at peace with God. We need to understand that. What did the angels sing on that Christmas morn? Peace and goodwill towards man. God has made peace with us, with between God. And how that peace made through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the MEV trans translation, I know most of us don't use that, but I like how it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You, you know, you can trust those you have peace with. If I don't have peace with you, I'm going to have a hard time trusting you. Whether that's my fault or whether that's your fault, I, I'm going to have a hard time trusting those I don't know if I have to be peace with. That makes sense? I mean, it's hard. Can you really trust someone you're not at peace with? I mean, it doesn't happen. But because we are at peace with God, and when we know that, when we understand that, we can trust Him. And when we trust Him, we can see faith work in our lives. We can see the gospel work in our lives. See, when you know your destiny is secure, it releases you to walk in the realm of faith. When you have, know that you have peace with God, it releases you to walk in the realm of faith. Did I just say the same thing? Okay. Destiny and peace with God. Okay. Romans 5 2 says, the very next verse, through whom also, talking about Jesus, we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We're going to look at this verse a lot today as we, uh, as we continue our message on the essence of redemption. Through whom? Through Jesus. Through what he died and rose again. Through, through, <coughs> excuse me. Let me re-say that. Through, through everything we talked about so far. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Through whom we have access by faith into the grace which we stand. And rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, aspects of faith that we are, that are released when you know your redemption. When you know your redemption, there are aspects of faith that are released. Some of those we've already mentioned is that we've been faith is released from death to life, from sin to righteousness, from sickness to health, and so forth. Okay, when, see, when you understand your identity with Christ in His death, and when you understand your identity with Christ in His resurrection, now you identify with Christ in His dominion, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. See, not only have we died with Christ. And not only have we been raised with Christ, which we talked a lot in the last two weeks, because we are redeemed, we are also seated with Christ. Okay? And that's what we're going to today. We're going to be talking about how we are identified not only in death and not only in his resurrection, but we need to identify that we are seated with Christ. And that is point four that we're going to go into today. We need to learn how to identify with being seated with Christ. Now, I can make a whole teaching series on this subject alone. Uh, so we're not going to really exhaust this topic. But Ephesians 2, 4, and 5, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, starts with, starting with verse 4, I'm going to verse 6. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved. We talked about this 
and breathe in this message of hope. But verse 6 says this, And raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How many of you know Jesus is Lord? Jesus, God, is, is King. And Jesus is sitting right now at the right hand of the throne of God. The King of all kings, Jesus is sitting. And we are sitting with him. Where's Jesus sitting? On the throne of God. At the right hand of God. And we, through the redemption of Jesus, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, he has made us to sit with him on the throne. What does a king do on his throne? A king rules the kingdom. A, great, a king governs the kingdom. He's king. And he does it from the position of sitting on a throne. And we have not only been raised, we are not only identified with God's death, with the death, with, that we are dead as him, we also identify with the resurrection of life. But we also need to realize that Jesus died and he rose again and he ascended at the right hand of God. And we are sitting with him on his throne. There's more scriptures in, I talk about this. Uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 21 says that if we overcome, we will sit together with him. Through. How do we overcome? By the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. That's how we overcome. And he, God, through Jesus, made us raise up together. Not only are we raised to be justified, <coughs> but we are raised to sit and together in heavenly places. Not on our own accord, but in Christ Jesus. See, we identify with, with him, with Jesus in his death. We identify with him in his resurrection. And we also need to identify with him in his dominion. What does that mean? We're seated with him on the throne. We're not just, you know, I remember back in um, my grandparents used to have a farm in Arkansas. And I was just five years old or younger. And I remember on the old dirt road, there was very, really no traffic on that road. My grandpa let me ride the, sit on his lap to drive the truck on that old dirt road. We weren't probably going more than five miles per hour. We weren't going very far. Not even a, we didn't even go a quarter of a mile. But it didn't seem like. But at the same point in time, I got to sit with him on the throne. And I wasn't just, I was, then I was just going for a joyride. But we're not just sitting on Jesus' lap for the joyride. We are sitting on his lap because we've been co-heirs with Christ. We are seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we can sit with him on the throne. And what, Jesus is not just there relaxing. He's there ruling his kingdom. And he is the king of kings. And Jesus said in, in, in Revelation chapter 5 verse 10 that he has redeemed us by his blood. And he has made us kings and priests to rule reign on the earth. We are also kings. And we are also priests. Little K, not big K, but we are, we are kings. But with him. He is a king of all kings. He's not just a king of all kingdoms of the world. He's also a king I believe also he's a king of all little K kings, which is you and I. Okay? Uh, however you want to phrase that, that's the way I see it. In Christ we have authority. A king has authority. Jesus said this way, it's to my father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you, he says, he gave us the keys of the kingdom. We have the keys of the kingdom. I don't know about you, I used, there have been several jobs I had through the years where I was given the keys of this building, build, uh, the building. I went to Brand Community Center for a while, 
and I had all these keys. Uh, I mean, I had keys. I, you know, when you have keys to a multi-million dollar building, you just feel, you feel a little responsible. Okay? I can open the doors, and I can lock the doors. I have access to places, places that other people don't have access, because there was even some places in the, in the Civic Center, which is across the street, I had access. I could even go through the police office police station do a, a private elevator to go up to the top thing that if I needed to. I didn't do that very often. I can't just do that for any reason I wanted to. But uh, I, I just had access. Okay? I had the keys to the city in one sense, at least to, to some of their property. We have authority over all the works of the devil. Jesus had authority over all the works of the devil. And we are seated with him on heavy place in Christ Jesus. Redemption released that authority. See, you when you were born again, you were born righteous. You were born again into freedom. You were born again into hell. You were born again into peace. And you were born again into authority. There's much more. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. You were also born again to authority and dominion. <coughs> Okay, well, we're going to be talking about some of this more in detail in our next teaching series. But you are a child of God. How do you exercise that dominion? You walk by faith. Okay, Romans 5 2 says it this way Through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. We're going to break this verse apart, but it looks at this. We have access to this amazing ultimate grace by faith. That's the key. We have access to this grace by faith. Okay? By faith, we access this grace. By faith, we stand in this grace. We're going to get into that in a little more detail in a minute. We, by faith, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what verse 5, chapter 5, verse 2 says. We're talking about the all-inclusive grace of Christ. See, through whom we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. Paul said it this way, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's a lot in this verse, and we, we quote this verse a lot, but I want to focus on it right now. Now Paul says he lives by faith in the Son of God. He lived, Paul, the way Paul lived, was by faith. I walk in dominion by faith. We identify again with his death, we identify with his resurrection, and we identify with his dominion. I have died with Christ, I have raised with Christ, and I'm also seated with Christ. We have authority over all the works of the devil. Okay? And we, we have access of this by, by faith. We have access by faith into this grace. I'm being repetitive for a reason because I want it to sink in. See, we're talking again about this all-inclusive grace of Christ. And when God gave us Jesus, he gave us everything. Without Jesus, we have nothing. But we are seated with Christ. Paul said this in Romans 8, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is on your side, I don't care who, who's trying to bully you. Who can be against you? He went on to say, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God would give you Jesus, why would he not give you anything? 
I got you my next life. If God would give you Jesus, why wouldn't he give you anything? <coughs> Is that not what this verse says? How shall he, if he who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And I don't care how you look at it, but in the Greek, this little word all means all. Some of us don't like this. I don't know why we don't want all things, but it's called the gospel. It's called too good to be true news. Okay? And this offends some people, but some people need to be offended. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. Okay? And if God would give Jesus, he would not give anything. If God would give you Jesus, why would he not also give you peace? Why would he not also give you healing? Why would he not also give you prosperity? People don't like that word. We're going we're gonna to delve in that a little deeper towards the end of our next series. Okay? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with you also freely give you all things? See, religion says the Lord gives and takes away, quoting from Job. Jo God didn't say that. Job said that. And we made that into a nice, beautiful song. The song is beautiful except for that one phrase that uh, God did not say. Job said it. Okay? The truth is, God gives. God gives good things in Christ. James says, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes from down from the Father of light, with whom is, whom is no change or shadow turning. If it's not good, if it's not perfect, it's not from God. Everything God gives is good and perfect. When God gives us Jesus, he gave us everything. And if God would give you Jesus, why would he? If God would give you Jesus, he would give you anything. Again, we're talking about this all-inclusive grace of Christ. And specifically in this message, we're talking about how we are seated with Christ. And if this is true, what I just am teaching right now, why are we not seeing more? Why are we not receiving more? My question to you back is, what are you believing if you don't like what you're receiving, then you need to change what you believe. If you don't like what you're receiving, you also need to change what you speak. You can, I, you can tell what people are believing by hearing what they're speaking. I can tell you, if I spend enough time with you, I don't need to spend all, all day or even years. I just spend a little while with you. I can tell what you're believing because that's what you're going to be speaking. There's been people who come to me for, for prayer. There's been people who reach out to me on Facebook and other, other things for prayer. And they'll talk the whole time about their need and what's, what's wrong. They believe, they believe more about their problem than they do about their salvation. They believe more about that than they believe God has the answer for their problem. Some of them are asking me for money, asking me for stuff. They believe I am their source more than they believe God is the source. Houston, we have a problem. Okay? You can tell what people are believing by what they're speaking. Now, there's some, I'm not saying we all have a bed of roses, many, many of the pictures on the righteous, but God delivers from wrong. Jesus promised that in this world you will have tribulation. But God delivers us out of them all. God will help us. He is our helper. Okay? <coughs> but, and then from time to time, I will say, you know what, we got this problem. But I might identify the problem, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, 
The majority of the conversation is not going to be about the problem. The majority of the conversation is going to be about my God. Because my situation does not change my God. My God changes my situation. Okay? It makes sense? It's okay if I need help. But talk, let the majority of your conversation be about your helper, not the idea that you need help. Where are you, where's your faith? Where are you believing? What you believe will come out of your mouth. Why do I believe that? Because I believe Jesus tells the truth. When he says in Matthew 12, 31, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. Again, let's go back to Romans 5, 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into the grace of which we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. By faith we enter the grace of God. And again, we're talking about this all-inclusive grace of God. We're talking about being seated with Christ. Very dark, just seeing that we're seated on the throne. We're seated with Christ, our Redeemer. Paul I mean, says this, For all the promises of God are yes, and in Him, amen, to the glory of God through us. God gives glory when we walk in all the promises of God. Hebrews 4.1 says, Let us therefore fear that the promise being left us of entering into the rest, and if you should come short of it. God wants us to enter all his promises. And God gets glory when we walk in all the promises. We're talking about the all-inclusive grace of Christ. We're talking about being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Do you think Jesus has lack sitting on the throne of God? Do you think he's sick? Do you think he might catch a disease? Do you think Jesus might catch COVID on the throne? Do you think, you know, is Jesus worried? Does Jesus have anxiety? Does Jesus have relationship problems on the throne? Do people not like him? Yeah. A lot of people don't like him. And because they don't like him, they might not like you. Okay? Um, but we're not saying there's no problems. But we're seeing with Jesus where there is no sickness. There is no tears. There is no suffering. Second Peter says this, As his divine power has given, has given, it's already been given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything you need for life and godliness is through the knowledge of Him. We're going to go down a little deeper next week. Not necessarily this verse, but the knowledge of Him. Who called us by glory and virtue. See, I have everything that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him. This knowledge means through knowing Him, through intimacy, through experiencing Him, through a relationship with Him. I have everything that pertains to life and godliness in it through a relationship with God, through a relationship with Jesus. He goes on to say in 2 Peter, by which we have given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these promises, through these promises we're supposed to be walking in, we may be partakers of the divine nature. You are a partaker of God's divine nature who is sitting on the throne. But, and escaping the corruption that's in this world through less, when we walk in the precious promises of God. Okay? I want that to sink in. We're supposed to be walking in this. Yes, there's corruption in this world. Okay? But we are to be partakers of His nature, not the corruption that's in this world. 
See, the promises of God have been given so that we can be partake of the life of God who's sitting on the throne. That's what we're talking about. I believe in God, but if I was to come to pass in my life. See, when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin, he took our penalty, he took our sickness, he took our anxiety, he took our poverty, our lack. Okay? How do I know this? Because I've been redeemed. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sickness. I'm dead to anxiety. I'm dead to poverty. I will not allow sin to rule my life. I will not allow sickness to rule my life. I won't let anxiety, worry, stress rule my life. I won't let poverty rule my life. I've been redeemed. We're going to go a lot more detail with some of this in our next series. We're talking about in all-inclusive grace of Christ. We are seated with Christ. Now, I want, I want to switch gears here for a moment. And in Joshua 15, I want to read a couple of verses here in just a moment, but let me set the stage. In Joshua 15, they're, they're, they're conquering the promised land. Okay, Jericho has already happened. They've already crossed the Red Sea. I mean, the, 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 the Jordan River, excuse me. And, jo and Joshua 15, in, this, in, 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 the, in these set of chapters, Joshua divided the land to the tribes of Israel. Okay? And he gave Caleb his mountain. Who's Caleb? Caleb and Joshua were the only two that were the first generation that entered. But when the, they sent, Moses sent the 12 spies, all of them came back with an evil report except for these two. These were the two oldest people in this whole nation of Israel. And Moses had promised Caleb a specific mountain, which I believe is the, where, uh, the Mount Sinai. I mean, not Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, where the cross. Anyway, I'm not going to go into all that right now, but he had a mountain, okay? And Caleb was 80 years old at this time, and Caleb has said in the book of Joshua, I am as strong as the day I was 40, even 80, okay? But he was waiting 40 years for this mountain. And when you pick up the story in verse 16, and Caleb said, He who attacks Kerjoth Sefer, Whoever he is, and takes it, to, takes it. Uh, I, I think that's a person or place. Takes it to him. I will give Asa. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but it sounds good for me. My daughter's wife. Caleb gets his mountain, and Moses promised him. Joshua divided it to him, and Caleb makes an announcement. Whoever takes this place, I will give my daughter to them. Okay, sounds like a good deal. See, in other words. All this would take place, but Caleb didn't just want some wimp as a son-in-law. He wanted a man who would take some territory. But then in verse 17, so Athino, who is the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, basically his nephew, took it and gave him Asha, Asa, his daughter, as his wife. In verse 18, now it was so when she, Caleb's daughter, said to him, his new, her, her new husband, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? I'm going to go with this in just a moment. I'm going to ask the question, what do you want? 
Several times Jesus' ministry, he asked, what do you want? Stop focusing on the problems and stop focusing on the lack. What do you want? Start believing God and stop saying, I can't because of this. I can't because of that. Stop limiting God and start believing God. When you say, I can't, you just limited God right there. Whenever you say, I can't, you limit God. Stop limiting God and start believing God. Start saying, I believe this is what God has for us or this is what God has for me. Believe God will change what you're receiving from God. Believing God will change what you're receiving from God. What do you want? Now let's go back to Joshua real quick. Now it was so, when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field that she dismounted over Dachim and Caleb, her, her father, and said, what do you, ask her, what do you wish? And she answered her father, verse 19, give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also the springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. Shah, the daughter, didn't just want the fields. She wanted the water rights to those fields. Because the water is what makes the fields produce. The fields in one sense were useless without water. I've seen enough cowboy movies and western movies and frontier movies to know this, okay? See, again, we're talking about the all-inclusive grace of Christ. We're talking about we're seated with Christ in heavenly places. We are the bride of Christ. And I believe he's asking us, what do you want? We're seated with him. See, you don't only have to take what you have. You can believe God for all. That's what Cana's daughter did. She was given a husband. She was given a field on the mountain that Moses promised Cana 40 years ago. And she got off her donkey, and the first thing her father asked was, what do you want? What do you wish for? And she goes, I want a blessing. She had just been blessed with a field in this mountain of God. This mountain of God had promised Cana 40 years ago. And he gave her more. He gave her the, the water rights to these fields. See, I don't know about you, but I want to be productive in the kingdom of God. I want to be productive in the kingdom of God. I want to fulfill God's purpose and God's destiny for my life. Not just going to heaven, but I have a purpose in this world. We often get what we ask for. Are you? Am I, am I making sense this morning? If you don't like what you are receiving, believe God for more. I saw Caleb's daughter wasn't just satisfied with the field. She wanted more. She wanted the water rights. If you don't like what you're receiving, ask God for more. Again, we're talking about the he, all comes of grace of God. He who did not spare his son, he will give us all things. And we are seated with Christ on his throne. We've been redeemed. And we're redeemed not just from sin. We're not just redeemed to, to, to be justified. We are also seated with him on his throne. 
through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the glory of God. See, we enter the grace of God by faith. Again, we're talking about this all inclusive grace of Christ, where we're seated. Your faith will do your faith will do what you let it do. Your faith will do what you tell it to do. See, Romans 5, 2 says, To whom also we have access by grace in which we stand. Where do we stand? We stand on the grace of God. Grace is not something you earn. Grace is unmerited favor. You can't merit it. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. You can't do the right thing. You can't say the right thing. You can't earn it. It's a gift. It's not by human redeemed. You access this grace by faith in which you stand. You don't receive from God because you pray. You don't receive God because you went to church. You don't receive God because you gave a tithe, an offering. You don't receive from God because you were good to your neighbor. These are good things. We should do these things. These will all help you walk in faith. If you don't do these things, it will limit your faith. But we don't do it because we earned it. If you earned it, it's not grace. We don't stand. We stand on grace. That's something that's unmerited. And we have faith into something that we did not earn. These things will help your faith. And if you don't do these things, your faith will shrink. Am I making sense? If you don't go to church, if you don't read your Bible, if you don't have a relationship with God, your faith will shrink. Because where does faith come from? It comes from the Word of God. But these are, we, don't get, we don't stand on what we do. We stand on what He did. That makes sense. All of these things are good things. That These things are not the problem. But you are not doing it to earn something from God. You're doing it because it is your born-again nature to do it. It is your desire to do these things. It is not your duty. But Jesus is the condition of the covenant. We'll be talking about this in our third set. Remember I said we're doing a trilogy of series teachings? We're going to talk about this covenant a little bit later. He's a condition of the covenant. The reason the covenant works for you is because you stand in grace. By faith. The reason the covenant works for you is because you stand in who Jesus is. Who God is. The reason the covenant works for you is because you stand in what he has done through the redemption of Jesus Christ. His death, burial, and ascension of Jesus. We don't talk about ascension a lot. But where is Jesus? He's not only in you, he's sitting at the right hand of God. See, Acts, Paul, I mean, Luke said in Acts, and Paul said it, Luke wrote it. <laughs> but he said, for in him, Jesus, we live and move and have our being. Now, I want to switch gears again. And we're going to close with these. I still got 30 minutes left, so we're not closing yet. But in John 14, 15, and 16, 
Jesus tells his disciples how they will live after he leaves. After he ascends, after the death and burial and resurrection and ascension of Jesus, he tells his disciples how they will live. Because he did not leave them alone. He didn't leave them as orphans. And we are not orphans. He sent us a helper called the Holy Spirit. And he talked in John 14, 15, and 16 about this helper who was going to come. But he also said some other names we're going to get into here. In John 14, 10, he says, Do not believe that I do you not believe that I that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you. I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. Jesus spoke the, his, the, his Father's words. Our Father's words. He spoke them. Jesus did the Father's works. Your works are tied up, are tied to your words. See, if you don't like what you're receiving, change what you're believing, change what you're speaking. What you are speaking is connected to what you're believing. We've already established that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Jesus said, the words that I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does works. By what authority are you, are the words are you speaking come from? Are they your own words? Or do you have a relationship with your Father? Where faith is born. Because where does faith come from? The word of God. And when you begin to speak what your father told you to speak, it's not you, but it's the father who dwells in you who does the work. Am I making sense? Like father, like son? Like Jesus, like us? What would Jesus do? This is what he did. <laughs> People have the famous phrase, what would Jesus do? But Jesus did what his father would have him do. Is God not your father? Then do what your father would have you do. It goes on. Believe me that I am in the father, the father is in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. <coughs> Jesus said, believe that I am in the father, the father is in me. But if you don't believe that, believe what I do. Jesus is the condition of the covenant. We'll talk about that in a lot more detail in a few, several weeks. But when you become born again, you were born into Christ. You were born into righteousness. You were born into peace. You were born into health. You were born into wealth. You were born into authority. We'll get into a lot more detail later on in our next series. What's up with this stuff? Believe me that I am the Father and the Father of me, or else believe me for the sake of works themselves. He's doing what his Father would do. And I said, the proof of the pudding is, if you can't believe what I say, believe what I do. You can believe who Jesus is because of what he does, or what he did. Either way, it will be fine. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do. See, this, he said this before he said this. In the same context, in the same Setting. But should I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. We're sitting with him on this throne. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. 
Whoever believes on Jesus. See, this is not a promise to just apostles, pastors, ministers. This promise is to the body of Christ. This promise is to every spirit-filled believer. He's talking about the Holy Spirit in the baptism. The works Jesus did, we shall do also. Is that not what he said? Jesus said, I do what my Father would have me to do. And, if you, and, and not only do I do them, but he who believes in me can do those works also. And not only that, he said, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. Because I go to my Father. Let's look at that phrase for a moment. What does that mean? Well, Jesus is about to go to the cross. Why did Jesus come? To die. Did it not say in Isaiah 55, 11, that his word will not return to him void? Is Jesus not the word? Did Jesus the word not come to die? And he's going to return to the Father. Not void, but because he redeemed us through his death, burial, and resurrection and ascension back to the Father. And in context, John 14, 15, 16, he talked about how the Holy Spirit has been poured out, or will be poured out, but now we look at it back in hindsight, how, how it had already been poured out. This is all under the phrase, because of the Father. Because he's going to the Father, he has finished the work. He's redeemed us. And he has sent us a helper, the Holy Spirit. Okay? In other words, there's no other age, the church age, no other age in all of history had ever experienced the finished work of the cross. And no other age in all history I've ever experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we have both of those. He said, greater work shall you do because I go to the Father. We will do what Jesus did and even greater works of redemption because redemption made it possible. I want to say that again. We will do Jesus' works and greater works because redemption made it possible. And I believe, now this is just me, people ask, what are the greater works? I believe salvation is the greater works. Because up until this point, there was no salvation. In the sense that they were under the old covenant, but we are in the new covenant. Jesus hadn't died yet. Jesus had died and buried and rose again. What Jesus did to the cross brought salvation to the entire world, even those who in the Old Testament. But we are supposed to preach the new covenant. Am I making sense? Okay. I don't want to get tied up on all that. We'll, we'll talk more about that detail a little bit later in other series that we're uh, coming up. But I believe the greater work is salvation. Okay, Because being born again was never a possibility until Jesus died for our sins. No one had been born again after this point when Jesus said this. It wasn't possible. Jesus hadn't died yet. Jesus hadn't rose again yet. Being born again was never a possibility until Jesus rose again. Being born again was never a possibility until Jesus redeemed us. But now, since the, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus and the ascension of Jesus, redemption is possible to all mankind. The death and resurrection of Jesus made the born again experience a reality. 
Our redemption in Christ made the born-again experience a reality. And because the redemption is true that we've been talking about the last three weeks, we shall do the works that Jesus did and greater works. We shall lead other people to Jesus Christ. We should lead other people to the salvation that we're going to be talking about over the next three weeks. Well, actually, it's going to be more than three weeks. It's going to be at least five or six or whatnot. Okay? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus doesn't ever change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I can keep saying that, and it never gets old. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and Jesus is still healing today. Because he's the same yesterday, today, Jesus is still blessing people today, yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is still prospering people today. People are still delivering people. People are still, Jesus is still doing miracles today. Because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Not because we are good, but because we are redeemed. We are seated with him in Christ. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. At the same time, Jesus took our sin, he took our sickness. We're going to look at this a lot more detail in our next teaching series. When we get, I have four main parts for our next teaching series, and we will get into this when we get to part four. Okay. Let's go back to John. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in the works that I do, he will do also because I go to my Father. And greater works will he do to me because I go to the Father. Redemption made authority powerful. We are seated with Christ. If it was not for the, the death and resurrection of Christ, you would have no authority. But you, Jesus was crucified. Jesus was delivered for our offenses. Jesus was raised for our justification. And you have peace with God. And you are a seed in Christ. Your destiny is secure. You have been redeemed. Now you have authority to live by faith. And by Jesus you have access into the things of God. And in Jesus you stand in the grace and promises of God. By faith you stand in Jesus. You don't claim you. You don't, you don't have faith in you. You don't claim these promises by you. You claim Jesus. Okay? Because I go to the Father. What? No, no, excuse me. That's what he said in verse 12. Verse 13 says, And whatever you ask in my name that I will do, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do this. We've taken this verse out of context and is in context of what he just said. Even prior verses. He does what his father does. He says what his father says. And he says, you will do the works that I do. If you believe in me, you'll do the works that I do. And even greater works because I go to the father. And, conjunction, and what? And there's more. You ever hear those commercials? 
and there's more. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What do you want? Like Caleb's daughter, and he who did not spare his own son, but get how he might also give us all things. What do you want? Can I say that right? Okay. We are seated with him. We are seated with Christ. And he says, whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. Did you know in John 3, 14, 15, 16, six times, Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Six times. His last words to his disciples before he goes to the cross, the grave, and his resurrection and ascended on high, he asked, whatever you ask in my name. What will he do? What are you asking for? What are you believing for? What do you want? See, if you're not talking to me, if you're not believing the right way, change your believing. Change what you're speaking. You're sitting with Christ. But if you haven't been asking, ask! Because whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in what Jesus did through the Son. See, ask. We are seen with Christ. And God the Father gets glory when we walk in all the promises of God. When we ask, Jesus is glorified. The Father is glorified. When we don't ask, we are not glorifying God. In case we didn't hear him right, verse 14, he says the same thing. Again, if you ask anything, twice in two verses, if you ask anything, 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 he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also give you all things? If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What do you want? Ask. Redemption paid for. If it wasn't for the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you would have no right to it. You would have no right to ask. But in the New Testament, actually, that was a thought we get together. But why? Why is this true? Because now, through his redemption, you have authority to ask. Jesus died and rose again to bring you back into your God-given authority. Folks, before sin ever came about, before Adam sinned, Adam, mankind, walked with God. And whatever he asked, he got. God has redeemed us back into that same relationship as if Adam lost nothing. Jesus redeemed you back into the, into the God-given authority and relationship. Relationship, which we'll begin talking about in the next couple weeks. We are seeing with Christ. What do you want? He goes on to say in John 15, verse 4, Abide in me, and I am you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, unless <coughs> it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. 
Jesus, again, is the condition of the covenant. We'll be talking about that more later. I cannot do it by myself. You cannot do it by yourself. It's not me doing it. Jesus is in me. Jesus is in you. You are seated with Christ. He goes on to say, I am the vine, you are the branches, he who abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Verse 6 in the King James says, If a man abides in me, not in me, he is cast forth as a branch, and is withered, and men, men, not God, gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. He doesn't say God cast them into the fire, man do it. See, Let's talk about this fire burn thing real quick. I don't believe this is talking about, in this context, it's talking about hell. I believe there is a hell, but I don't believe it's in this context. And you might disagree, that's, you can have your own opinion. We all have an opinion, like, kind of like a nose. We all have an opinion with a couple of holes in it. Okay? This is not hell. Those who don't stay connected to Jesus will not make a big difference, will not make any difference. You can do nothing without Jesus. That's what he's talking about. See, the Bible talks about how your works will be judged. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. We're not going to go into all that detail. But he talks about gold, silver, wood, hay, and stubble. Wood and hay and stubble is burned, and gold and silver is refined all by fire. Gold and silver, I believe, are things God has called you to do. Wood, hay, and stubble are things you're doing in your own strength in the flesh. And they have no eternal value. But the anointed thing that God has called you to do, I know it's on the bottom of the screen, I believe are the gold and silver things, and the value will increase with fire as it's refined. That's a side message. I'm not going there. Let's go back to John 7, 15. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. There's two conditions to get all your prayers answered. You abide in Jesus, and his word abides in you. You're seated with Christ. He said, if you abide in me, and my word abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. See, if you are abiding in Jesus and his word, you will not ask for the wrong things. You ask for, well, why, why does God give us a blank check? If we ask anything, won't we ask for something that's not good? Something that's sin, something that, you know, we've heard many preachers where, where uh, some strange woman comes to them and says, God told me that your, your wife is going to die and you're going to marry me. That is not God. But if you are abiding in Jesus and his word, you will not ask the wrong things. If you are abiding in Jesus and his word, you will ask nothing but the good and perfect gift of God. What do you want? John 15 says, but this is, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Jesus again is the condition of the covenant. If we abide in him, anyway, I, I, I chop my chop, chopping notes here. We are seated with Christ. This brings glory to God. It brings glory to God that we have. It brings glory to God that we bear much fruit in our lives. And you can't bear any fruit without Jesus and abiding in him. Let's switch gears here. 
John 16. He says, in that day you will ask me nothing. Because up to this point, most people, people didn't ask him. People weren't taught to ask him. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. What day is he talking about? I believe, in context, he's been talking to the disciples for the last five chapters about his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Holy Spirit coming. I believe he's talking about that day when Jesus rises from the dead, because that's what he's been talking about. In context, since John chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, he's been talking about the death, resurrection of himself. He talked about the day that the Holy Spirit poured out. Because that's what he's been talking about the last three chapters. And in that day, you will ask me nothing. Most surely I say to you, whatever you ask, Father, my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. You couldn't do it. You couldn't have power of attorney in his name. But ask, and you will receive. And your joy may be Your joy may be full. Jesus wants your joy to be full. Some people think prosperity is a bad thing. What do you have against God having given you joy? Now I know the thing, your joy should be in God, not the thing. We'll talk about that a lot more later. But I don't know about you, but I have joy when my prayers are answered. I don't have much joy when my prayers are answered. See. Romans 5, 2 says, Through whom also we have access by faith and the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. <coughs> See, by faith, we have access to the grace. By faith, we stand in the grace. And by faith, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Joy is an attitude of faith. How do I know you're walking in faith despite what you're going through? You have joy. How do I know that you're walking in worry and anxiety and fear despite what you're going through? Because you don't have joy. <laughs> joy is added to faith. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Peter says it this way, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Blessed be the God of our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that not fade away, reserved for you in heaven. Verse 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6. In this you greatly rejoice, for now, for a little while, I have need be, you have been grieved by various trials. See, Jesus, just because you are saved does not mean you will never have troubles. Jesus said you will. Peter saying that you will. Paul said that you will. James said that you will. John 16, 33 said, Jesus said this, These days I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulations, but be in good cheer. I have overcome the world. In 1 John 4, 4 it says, You are God, of God, little children, and have, over, you, and have overcome them. Because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. John 5, 4 says, And for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. 
Your faith overcomes what's going on in the world. Let's go, to, let's go back to Peter. That the genuineness of your faith be more precious than gold that perishes. Though it is tested by fire, may be found to the praise, honor, and glory of the revelation of Jesus. I wish I had time to really to, to, to spend time on this verse. A lot of people think that um, have misconstrued messages about this. But your faith is more precious than gold. And just like gold doesn't perish to fire, your faith that's more precious than gold will also not perish to fire. It will become stronger. Anyway, I felt like I, I just did a, uh, something for Star Wars right there. Okay. Whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full glory. Folks, we are supposed to have, if we understand redemption, if we understand the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, if we understand that we are seated with him in high places, we should rejoice with joy and expressible. Yes, we can't see him physically without face to face, but we know that we are with him. We know that he is in us. We have an in, we should have an inexpressible joy. I know we're going through various trials. I know we're going through many things. I know these last days the signs are coming. But we should have an inexpressible joy because we have been redeemed. We died with Christ. We buried with Christ. We rose with Christ. We are seated with Christ. And we should be rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. Just like he says, this, you rejoice with joy and expression in our full of glory. I hope you're connecting with us. I don't have time to explain, explain this much detail this morning like I would like to. But joy is the attitude of faith. Joy is the evidence of faith. If you are truly walking in faith, you will be walking in joy. Our redemption in Christ made our authority a reality. And when you are born in Christ, you were born into authority. You can identify with his life. I'm sorry, you can identify with his death. You can identify with his resurrection. And you can identify that you die with him. You can identify that you are raised with him. And you can identify that you're seated with him. And you can identify that you reign with Jesus. In Christ, we have authority over all the works of the devil. In Christ, we are redeemed. This concluded my message on the essence of redemption. I wish I could go more detail on some of this. But like I've been saying, next week we're going to be starting a brand new teaching series called Such a Great Salvation, which is really a continuation of what we've been talking about. But I'm going to be switching gears. I'm going to be talking about this salvation, this Yeshua, this Soteria, this Sozo that we have received. It's great. 
I can be talking about four main things in this new teaching. Okay, first of all, talk, we're going to define what salvation is. Then we're going to be talking about the purpose of salvation. And then, then the, with that, we're going to be talking about the necessity of salvation. And then we're going to conclude this teaching series by talking about the benefits of salvation, which includes healing, prosperity, and other things. <coughs> and with that, before we go to our next teaching series, as we get to the benefits of salvation, we're going to be talking, I'm going to have some sub-series in here. I want to talk about wholeness. I want to talk about healing. I want to talk about prosperity. I want to tip over some sacred cows. And I want to talk about what God talked about, salvation. And because the word salvation, by definition, in the Hebrew and also in the Greek, means wholeness. It means healing. It means deliverance. It also means prosperity. And when people don't like prosperity, they're telling me they don't like salvation. Okay. And I know that people are saying that because... There's, there's some kooks out there who are using, they're panhandling the gospel to get what they want. But I, we've already established if you understand the gospel, if you understand salvation, if you're abiding in God and abiding in his word, you're not going to ask for the wrong things. But God's going to bless you like he blessed Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And he, he's going to bless you like he blessed David and Solomon and others. He's going to bless you like he blessed the disciples. And he's going to be a blessing to bless all the families of the earth. That he can establish his covenant that God made to his forefathers and you. God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. And if you want to be blessed to so your house, your, you and your four can be blessed, you are selfish. If you're thinking of finances only to bless yourself and now give the rest to the others, and I, I'm all for about giving to others. Yes, we have tithes, offerings, and we have alms. I'm all for that. But there's a purpose. There's a destiny. God has a purpose for you. God wants you to be prosperous. Not just in finances, because prosperity is not just about finances. God wants you to be prosperous in your health. God wants you to be prosperous in your relationship. God wants you to be prosperous in your mind, what you're thinking on. God wants you to be whole. God wants you to be whole, healed. God wants you to be a blessing and prosperous in every area of your life. As he says in John chapter 3, verse, uh, 3 John chapter, there's only one chapter, verse 2, he says that as you, that you're so, um, actually let me just look it up real quick. Sorry, I want to quote it real quick. I want to end with this. But 3, 3 John chapter 3, I mean, chapter 1 verse 2. I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Yes. Third John verse 2. Let me conclude by saying this. Verse 3. For I rejoice greatly when brethren came and testified of the truth that is in you just as you walk in the truth. Let me conclude this. Why am I teaching this? Because I want you to walk in the truth. As a pastor, I want you to walk in the truth. And John was rejoiced because he heard that you were walking in the truth. When John wrote the, the, the third letter, the third book of John, John wrote five books, and then the third letter, he was rejoicing that he heard that pe people he'd been teaching to, teaching he, people he'd been writing to, that they were walking in the truth. 
I rejoice that I hear you walk in the truth. I rejoice when you are walking in this great salvation, that you are whole, that you are healthy, that you are blessed, you are prosperous, you are delivered. I rejoice in that. I don't rejoice in your poverty. I don't rejoice in your sick. I don't rejoice in your life that's falling apart. But I rejoice in when I see God's salvation working in every area of your life so that you can be blessed to be a blessing. You can't, you're, you are going to be limited in being a blessing to others if you are not first blessed yourself. You cannot give what you don't have. You know, we have this mentality that we are supposed to be pulling the church house. No, we are the head and not the tail. We are above and not beneath. We are the lender of, uh, we are lender of many but borrower of none. We are the church. We are the people of God. Anyway, we'll get into this next week. Uh, I've got such great salvation. God be blessed. Blessings to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.